Welcome to Parenting in the Trenches. I'm Karen Peters, a registered clinical counselor, and I'm a mom. We're getting real about all things family from a mental health perspective. So let's get to it. Today's episode is about kids and racism. We are privileged to have Parker Johnson as our guide for this conversation. Parker is an adoptee from Savannah, Georgia, who has grown up on the traditional territories of the Lekwungen people. It was in 2019 that Parker came up with the idea for This is Table Talk, which began as a men's circle and soon expanded into a community platform as a way to decolonize conversations within his local community. Parker had a goal of reminding people that they have a voice and that it is worth hearing. This is not usually how I start an episode, but I do think it's really appropriate this time to set the stage with a pretty sweeping statement because I truly believe it's accurate and it's an assumption we need to work from. We humans are messed up, all caps. The majority of what I see causing the messed upness is a form of disconnection from ourselves and from each other. Today we're talking about racism, and I've got some intense gratitude going on right now for Parker's willingness to connect us to the mess, because I don't really see any other way through to something better. Where I'm at in my learning is that if I, as a privileged white person, and by the way, it's not lost on me that I have a bob haircut and my name is Karen, if I remain detached from the problem and the experience of racism, by saying it's not a me problem, it remains irrelevant to me. I'm not in relationship with the problem. And I remain disconnected from racialized human beings who should be my brothers and my sisters. The second that I come closer to the mess, the pain, the injustice, the reality of the divide, the more I wake up, and recognize that it's about me, about what I was taught, surrounded with, and what I continue to benefit from. And then I can do the work to make things better between us in how our systems operate. So with that stage in mind, I'm going to ask every listener to consciously make the decision to be open to seeing themselves when Parker talks us through some of this with us today. Parker, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me at this table. (laughs) (laughs) Good to see you today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I kind of want to have a bit of a method to our conversation today. I want to start kind of central to who we are as individuals and work ourselves into how do we have conversations with kids and then looking at systems and resources. So, um, Before we get into those three things, can you just tell us a little bit about the work you do and a bit of your story? Yeah. So I run a community platform called This Is Table Talk, and I think it's been established for over a year now. Uh, It started off as a men's circle while I was in university and quickly grew into this larger conversational platform where I ask people from my community to come together and talk about important things that are happening 
for them in their lives. Um, and also it's an opportunity for us to um, break bread with each other and just kind of hit the pause button on life. Um, I studied psych at the University of Victoria and um, my minor was in education. Uh, I'm originally from Savannah, Georgia, uh, but I've grown up on the traditional territories of Lekwungen speaking people um, known as uh, Victoria. But yeah, I guess a lot of my work has been with youth. I did youth support work for about five years and that's really informed the work that I do now and how I facilitate. So that's a little bit about me. Yeah. There's a central aspect of your work for This Is Table Talk that centers around the conversation and the community building. Yeah. Do you also do education pieces for systems at all? Yeah, what yeah. What does that look like? We, we, oftentimes we visit schools, elementary, high school, even university level, and we host guided discussions for the student body, um, racialized student body to discuss what they want to see changed in the curriculum, or we do presentation style uh, events for teachers. And we also do different exercises with um, youth. So like world building exercises where we collaboratively uh, critique society and, and discuss what we want to see changed and just address the very real systemic issues uh, that we experience. Yeah. Those are some thick conversations to have with kids, hey? They are, they rise to the challenge and they are better yeah. at it than all of us. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> than adults, awesome. they're much better. Yeah. So speaking to that, can you maybe throw out one of the biggest challenges of the work that you do? And what yeah. you just spoke there made me think of that because that sounds very hopeful that the kids are better at this than we are. So <laughs> that's yeah. good for one of the, one of the I think one of the challenges is, is, the piece around reminding people how to be in relationship with each other. It's like we've forgotten how to do that. And once you can create a safe space for people to, to talk and validate each other and they see that they're not alone, they start to open up. But that challenge, it's that challenge. It's making people think about the system itself rather than themselves as individuals. And, and so it, like, it helps them not feel so shameful or have um like a guilt response where we can just talk and be in collaboration about well let's talk about the system together and that's the challenge to get people to kind of step outside of themselves yeah beautifully okay that's i can picture it i'm envisioning you in a school watching that <laughs> unfold and how powerful that experience must be to watch kids engage in that oh the kids the kids are um they're the ones with all of the questions and the curiosity. And again, it's the adults, it's the teachers that have the, they have a hard time. The challenge is working with adults because, you know, we've, we've grown up and we've lost that curiosity. Uh, we've, we've almost lost that ability to create safe relationships. Sometimes we don't know how to look out for each other. We don't know how to respond to um, injustice. We're always trying to do the right thing. And, you know, the list goes on. Getting it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's a barrier, isn't it? It's a big barrier. We yeah. stopped talking. Yeah. Okay. Knowing that the conversation has to start within us. Mm -hmm. So just speaking to the adults, the parents, 
who eventually want to be able to know how to do this well with their kids and bridge that conversation and invite the curiosity and have yeah. these meaningful dialogues about this. Uh, let's start in ourselves. Where would you suggest are the pieces like what are the what's the what's on your list of things that we need to be mindful of thinking through and wrestling with? I think we need to understand that racism and these other systems of oppression just they have affected us affected us all um, in really insidious ways. And I think by just calling out the elephant in the room um, and inviting those um, inviting that curiosity back in with with kids especially is important. So you know for for example, textbooks in school, like let's critique those textbooks. Are these texts written in collaboration with the folks um, that are discussed in it? No, if not, let's talk about that. You know, it's just really addressing how um, I think the easiest route is talking about the education system and what it's done to strip away culture, cultures, I should say, I should say, it's just erasure and replaced with a uh, very white centric language that is harmful you know and in doing so it's it's also not taught us anything we shouldn't have to we should know how to look out for each other when bad things happen but we don't you know what i mean and so i think one of the easiest routes and what i tell parents is start in school talk about the curriculum challenge the kids to critique the texts that they're reading build critical thinkers build critical thinkers Yes. yes. And be open to that ourselves. So we need to be invite actively inviting this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think as individuals, we need to, we need to spend more time reflecting on how we exist in the system, thinking about our own privilege and where it shows up in our life. Those are the questions that I think we should be asking ourselves and our communities and our kids. Yeah. And when we feel, okay, actually when we feel, I would like to ask you, how, how should we know we're ready to go from, I've done some of my work to the degree where I have a good enough, good enough insight. I don't even know what the language is around that, but like, right. when am I ready, ready to have healthy conversations with my kids about this? I don't know. I don't know if anybody's ever ready. I think it's just about just having the conversation, just trying. Because so often, I think we just opt out of having the conversation at all if we feel uncomfortable. But I don't think discussions on on racism and oppression are supposed to be comfortable. It's yeah. just a conversation that you have to have, you know. So we shouldn't expect it to be smooth, polished. No. No. super well informed all the time because it's our growth at the same time it's almost parallel then exactly We're learning at the same time okay exactly and we have the power of google <laughs> so <laughs> so thank you google yeah. yeah there's blueprints all over the internet on, on <laughs> yeah <laughs> start right? these conversations so okay so let's talk about developmentally appropriate i you know i think right. a lot of white parents in particular think it's too thick of a topic to dangerous of a topic to scary of a topic to mm. address early. Mm -hmm. And when I listen to 
black authors, black speakers who tell it's just, you're ne- it's never too soon. It should no. be from the moment that kid's born. Yeah. It's part of what we do. It yeah. is part of our environment, part of our conversation, part of our growth work. What does it look like to start that like at its earliest point? And how does that transform for kids who are say in like early elementary into middle? And then how do you have these conversations with high schoolers? It's going to look different, right? It's, it's always going to look different, but um, yeah. I think, you know, beginning early, you introduce the idea of diversity, mm-hmm. um, especially when you're in a community that the majority isn't very diverse, even speaking to that exposure is huge so you know we're in the midst of a pandemic right now we also have access to media so what what kind of media are you um exploring with your kids what kind of shows are they watching what kind of cartoons what kind of books are they reading there is you mentioned black literature and and authors there's poetry there's music there's movies there's comics um that explore diversity from indigeneity to latinx to black to like there's a whole bunch of art to dive into early on and i think that's a great way um to explore diversity at a young age is just introducing it bring it into your home bring it into your home let them hear it let them see it let them read it um and and with that you would hope that once they go into elementary school excuse me the way that they're engaging with other kids, especially uh, racialized kids, be a little different. Yeah. There's also there's also something that they can share in, you know. They can engage in different conversations, and they can also talk to their teacher differently, and they can start that critical thinking process because they're exposed to diversity early on. They're exposed to thinking differently than just the mainstream or uh, majority yeah. way of thinking. And then in high school. I mean, teenagers are already ready to challenge everything and everyone. So um, that's when I think it's really... developmental stage, hey, for the pushback. For the pushback. And that's when you introduce that curriculum that is really loud and challenging the status quo and challenging uh, systems of government because those kids will engage. And I've seen it firsthand, (laughs) you know. So it's like that steady progression. Just start off small... You know, you don't have to begin with slavery at, at three years old. You can, you, right. you can, there's other avenues, you know, so, yeah. yeah. I've been having a lot of conversations recently about how we language some things about yeah. the difference between like black culture is not slavery. Yeah. It's, it's an enslaved history, right? Yeah. Of enslaved people. Yeah. That's our history. Right. <laughs> That's white history. Right. Right. And just having that narrative, that conversation, uh, it's yeah. right, where we place the problem as opposed to how we embrace culture and One diversity. The, that, that, that's, I'm really glad you brought that up. That, that was a recent conversation that I had in a session asking, why is Black synonymous with problem? And why yeah. is Africa synonymous with, with struggle? And why is... Um, huh. you, you know what I mean? Like the, the yeah. way that we we pair language and create these blanket statements, um, mm-hmm. it's extremely problematic. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, which I think leads a lot of people to thinking, how do I teach my kid about black culture early on if it means I'm having these har- terribly, you know, messy right. conversations about things that seem inappropriate for a child around slavery? I'm like, that is not black culture. That is That's not, not black teach. Culture. That is yeah. not black culture. Yeah. 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 That's there's actually so much joy and celebration to to explore whether it's black yeah. culture, indigenous culture, and also um, really highlighting the fact that we're not one voice or one community we're communities we're hetero- yes. heterogeneous like there's so many indigenous nations in canada or in the states yeah. there's so many um black communities uh diasporic communities like yeah. you can explore that it's it has to come with a tone of welcoming i guess that's the first place that's what i'm hearing like in the it's not about knowing at all it's no. about presenting to our kids uh, an excitement and a curiosity and a willingness to mm-hmm. approach this with open ears, eyes, and thoughts, I guess. Right? Yeah. Just like yeah. open your mind to the value in not teaching facts about stuff with judgment attached. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, um, you know, going back to that critical thought piece, when you're being taught something, yeah. really think about why it's important. One of the kids uh, from a session a couple of weeks ago just walked up to the to the computer and asked, "Why do we need to learn about microaggressions?" I said, "That's a great question." And then yeah. we talked about microaggressions in school and what they can look like, and et cetera, et cetera. Can you answer that for us today? Why? why do I we... think that's what. Well, just why is it important? Right. To identify and talk about and name microaggressions microaggressions um i I think um it's kind of a big question i'm trying to think about how i question that's not fair no 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 no. (laughs) um i think it's important because for white youth they'll be able to see when they occur and they'll be able to advocate for people who are experiencing them it's giving, it's giving kids the tools to recognize um, socialization, to think about where another human being is coming from when they're perpetuating that form of violence or aggression and they may not even know it. Yeah. Um, you, can't, you can't do anything with what you can't name, right? You got to see it first and know what it is, how exactly. it's unfolding and exactly. be able to say, this is a problem. Exactly. It's not just normal. Yeah. Okay. And so, for example, if if one of their classmates says to a racialized student, you know, oh, I don't see color, and um, mm-hmm. a student who hears that, who knows that that is a form of erasure, can respond accordingly and be like, well, we actually need to celebrate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Can you give? Can you throw out a couple other examples of microaggressions? What should parents teach their kids to watch for? Um, I think boundaries is a big one. I think boundaries boundaries is a big one. Like if a a child's curiosity can sometimes be um, misunderstood when they're um, not respecting someone else's boundaries, like grabbing hair or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, can I touch your skin? Um, Or, you know, as I said, what was the other one? Um, yeah, the I don't see color kind of comments. Um, what other kind of microaggressions are there? 
just assuming someone's identity is a big one. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. Those are some examples. Okay. Good. That's helpful. Because I think when it, I think people have good intentions. They, they want to help their kids identify, but they kind of draw a blank of like, this yeah. is not my lived experience. I'm, I actually don't know what I'm teaching. I want them to look out for it. I'm not yeah. sure exactly how to name that experience and to watch for it from in a concrete way. Mm-hmm. So that's been helpful. You let's take it from conversations with kids into mm-hmm. <sighs> systems so we want to challenge things we we want to do the work in our systems what what systems should we be doing the work in where should we be watching like where's my in and how would i go about that well where you know where do you work yeah (laughs) you know what i mean first look at look at look at look at hiring practices uh also thinking about how our behavior is political so much of what we do is political. This system is built in a way to disenfranchise folks. So keeping that in mind, um, I guess my easiest one is in education because so many kids go to school or they're homeschooled. And so really it's that, it's that place of what are we, what's in the curriculum and what, what voices are missing? What voices are missing? What voices are absent? Yeah. Yeah. Have been blocked. Blocked, erased. Not include erased. Yeah. You know, uh, who's teaching the material? Is there someone uh, who is representative of that lived experience that can come in and teach? Um, yeah. If there's a equity, diversity, and inclusion board being formed at uh, an organization, who's on that board? Yeah. You know. I often say nothing about us without us, right? This is a phrase of like, it's so rooting for me of like, come back to the ground of like, why am I taking up so much space? Mm. Like what, where, where in my systems that Mm. I participate in? Yeah. Just that constant, like, Oh, why, why am I making assumptions? Cause I had a conversation a year ago with so-and-so I, I have to like, fold it in it has to be welcomed in every part of my system so yeah yeah, workplace school are obvious like we're almost all in those right every every single thing every single uh, institution that we engage with we have to be thinking about these things and understand that this is lifelong i've told clients like are you sure you want to start this conversation because you can't unhear or unsee these things fair warning yeah, I mean, right? Well, yeah. yeah, you can't go back. No, no. Yeah, I, I, I want to somehow insert something here because, sure. um, from a white privilege perspective, okay, I actually can go back. I can't, I can't go back, but I can choose to go. Oh yeah. Right. So I can choose to detach again. Yeah. Nobody necessarily is going to hold me accountable. And because I don't experience the ongoing suffering of the system. Right. What's making, what's motivating me. Right. And that, that is ugly. Yeah. But true. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I'm now I'm thinking questioning around when we engage in this work, how do we hold each other accountable? Um, I think for white folks, holding each other accountable is crucial because all roads will lead back here. Um, you can be the most successful person. And at some point, you are going to have to talk about diversity, you are going to have to talk about um, equity and inclusion. The, the conversation is too large now. Everything's on the table. Um, and so accountability is going to come knocking regardless. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's yeah. important that you mention that ability to opt out. But um, that's so visible now. That kind of silence is definitely speech. Hmm. And I think more and more people, um, especially white folks and, and allies or whatever you would like to call yourself, will just hold those people accountable. Like that voice will get much smaller. Because the conversation that we're having, okay. it's getting it's getting much larger. So, I've been recently just curious of spending some time thinking about the intersection of the experience of Black Lives Matter hitting mm -hmm. a larger stage at the same time as COVID being in full throttle, right? And how that has changed. And I can't, I can't put like I'm, I feel like it's so complicated, but in some ways has hampered perhaps because it has caused us to debate this, like, is it safe to be in the streets? Is it safe to be visible in large mass groups where we know that change can come from that presence, mm. that public presence? But at the same time, I wonder about how much of that was amplified then from our own homes and living rooms through social media, through our dependence on on screen usage, right? Of like, yeah. did, did that afford a different opportunity? for reaching yeah. more people who didn't have to be in the streets to see it. They actually, it showed yeah. up on their feed. Yeah, that I absolutely agree. Yeah. I think, um, I don't even know if we'd be having the conversations we're having if we weren't quarantined and glued to our screens. Um, it, it forced people huh. who don't often see or think about these things to have to engage with it. Um, and that kind of vicarious trauma changes people. And when we don't, when we feel uncomfortable, we don't like that cognitive dissonance, we try and remedy that. Um, and I think the remedy has been having these conversations and you know, you're seeing kids be critical of their parents and challenging their beliefs. You're seeing um, organizations yeah. completely crumble. Um, you're seeing parent advisory councils or boards um, critique their 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 school uh, curriculums like this. It was massive, and what was interesting, because the pandemic was also happening, was also seeing how this uh, COVID nineteen pandemic has been affecting uh, communities of color and having that conversation. It opened yeah. it up to how this health healthcare system has actually been extremely historically oppressive and violent. Um, so yeah, it, it kind of lit a match. And what, what I tell folks is that this conversation isn't new. It's just the power of this technology, Yeah, you know, so. How tired are you of saying that? Of saying which? <laughs> 
This isn't new, people. Oh, <laughs> this is not a new conversation. I, I'm not. I'm not tired yet. <laughs> wow. Okay. I was going to ask you this at the outset, but maybe this is a better place to be asked. Yeah. How do you take care of yourself? When I'm overwhelmed, I shut myself off digitally. Airplane yeah. mode is my favorite friend. Yeah. Oh yeah, I love it. I I get my snacks. I get my my um, my movies or my books, and I just just I'm on the couch. Awesome. relaxing i i have yeah. to you know airplane motor do not disturb you know i don't even sleep Shut with my off. my technology in, in in the bedroom like it's no mm. also counseling counseling is great <laughs> oh good thanks for plugging that so no no i'm, I'm just i'm very serious <laughs> you know because this, yeah. this table talk started as a men's circle to talk about our mental health and and yeah. and emotional well-being counseling is so so key that's a whole nother conversation, but yeah. yeah. I look forward to having it if you're yeah, open to that. Absolutely. That's, that sounds like a really good one to be having. Absolutely. Resources. Any yeah. top of mind suggestions for parents who want to do their own work? Yeah. Get a better grip on what their role is in this. And mm -hmm. uh, what do we bring into our homes as everyday coffee table reading for our kids? I guess it would depend on the age, but if you're someone who listens to the radio or podcasts while you're driving with your kids, I would definitely suggest um, podcasts on stories. Um, folklore is is great. Um, okay. I would also hope that parents look for um, picture books. You know, p books on different textured hair. Uh, yeah. uh, comic books or even you know video games that that have different stories or different identities uh, um uh whether that be uh gender or or uh ethnic identities there's so many different avenues now at all age groups um i love poetry and and literature so depending on the age you know you can just go and get Maya angelo's collection of poetry and you can do like a a poem a day type thing, you know, yeah. um, works better when kids are in school, I think. Um, but for yourself, depending on where you are geographically, I also um, would encourage people to either look at the library, look online, everything's online now, about your geographical location and start reading about that. Okay, um, start local. Start local. Yeah, we, we, we're so macro, like start micro, it's okay. Because then you get into the conversation around land acknowledgements. Mm -hmm. Then you get into the conversation of locating your own lineage on the land that you're on and, and what it means to be there. And yeah. Yeah. Good suggestion. Specifically for adults, anything yeah. come to mind? Google. Do your Googles. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't be afraid Embrace to do your Embrace the Google. Yeah, okay. just, just look it up because it's there. Okay. Um, okay. Also, if depending on where you live, search locally for uh, artists or authors. Okay. Um, and, and read their work. Read their work. Yeah, I feel okay. like that's really helpful for, for adults. Awesome. Okay. I'm going to include a bunch of links in the um, show notes as well. I've collected okay. over the last year or so some guides that I know 
a lot of people have come to me and said, this has been a really helpful tool. And I've, yeah, scanned some of those. So I'll include those as well. And if you want to add anything after, yeah, I will. send them to me. Awesome. I will. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. This has been great. Maybe there's a part two in store for us because now I want to have the counseling conversation. But, yeah, yeah, I would love to. I would love to. Okay. Um, yeah. There, you know, speaking of counseling, uh, if you're in the Vancouver area, there's a resource called Healing in Color, and it's a directory uh, dedicated to racialized folks, BIPOC folks, um, to pair them with uh, different um, racialized therapists and practitioners. Awesome. Um, but yeah, I will I will throw some links that I that I love. Beautiful. And I would yeah, love to I've come back. On. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Okay. Part two, Parker. Thank you. <laughs> we'll look forward to it. I'll schedule that as soon as we drop off today. Okay. <laughs> I'll nail it down. Great. Have a really good afternoon. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Talk to you later. Thanks for spending time with me today. Remember to check out the show notes for related resources. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram, or you can also subscribe to my online learning page at my.thrive-life forward slash LRL series, where you'll get updates, extra tools for your toolkit. And if there's a topic that you want me to cover in this podcast, please shoot me a message. I would love to hear from you. Shoulder to shoulder with you, knee deep in this mud. I will see you back here next time.